This is going to be one of the silver linings of this horrible pandemic, which is that everybody's lives are going to get easier in accessing health care for their loved ones. Hi, I'm Bobby, a certified caregiving consultant, and I lead the caregiver support group in my local community. And I'm her husband, Mike, a certified caregiver advocate. And this is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer our practical insights, and share some emotional support. And we might even share a laugh or two, because we all know that, well, laughter is in fact the best medicine. And don't forget the wine. Oh no, can't forget the wine. I remember when we took on the role of being a family caregiver, and there were so many things that we had to deal with all at once. And one of the least things that we understood was Medicare and Medicaid. Yes, and we were kind of fortunate in the aspect that my dad um, was a 100% disabled veteran. So we got a lot of his care and a lot of the resources through the VA. So we were very, very fortunate where we didn't have to uh, rely on Medicare or Medicaid. But unfortunately, a lot of our listeners are not in that position. So that brings us to today's guest. She has spent the last 23 years working to improve how America pays for and delivers care to its oldest and frailest adults. She has worked in government, consulted to hospitals, nursing homes, assisted living providers, and home care companies, and is a self-described policy wonk. She has written policy and research papers and has testified before congressional special committees on aging. She is an expert on aging services, which include Medicare, Medicaid. Please welcome to our show, Ann Tomlinson. Hi, Ann. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for, for joining us today. And I know the information that you have to share is going to be so helpful to our listeners. Again, thank you so much for having me on the show. Wow, you know, it's a weird uh, and kind of funny thing to be dis- to have spent your career working on these two programs. Um, they are really complicated because many people are very confused about what what they are and what they cover. So I'm just going to start with with a really basic outline of, of what they are and what they cover. So the Medicare program is the health insurance program for older adults. And prior to the 1960s, we didn't actually have that many older adults in our country. You know, the lifespan was so much shorter back then that it was, you know, it wasn't really expected. I mean, if you hit 65 or 70, you were very old. Um, now we can all think about, we can all remember that great grandparent who lived into their 90s, but, but for the most part, on average, you know, the lifespan was in the early 70s. So, you know, <clears throat> we didn't worry too much about how people were going to pay for retirement or what kind of healthcare they were going to use. And so, as the lifespan started increasing uh, in the 60s, we, uh, Lyndon Johnson and Congress enacted Medicare. Medicare um, is, it really is like, in many respects, just traditional health insurance that you're used to getting from your employer. You know, it covers the hospital, covers physicians. It's, um, you know, what it, and what it doesn't cover, for the most part, is anything related to long-term care. So if you do have a loved one with Alzheimer's disease, for example, and it's progressed to the state where 
you need somebody to help you um, supervise them during the day so you can go to work or you need them to live in a memory care facility or a nursing home. Those kinds of things are not covered by Medicare. Medicare does not pay for that. We use the term long-term care or long-term services and supports to refer to those things that are, you know, that are helping out with just basic daily activities like supervision, bathing, eating, dressing. Medicare does not cover those things. Um, Maybe one other thing just to mention about Medicare is that, uh, or maybe two, I lied, two. One is that (laughs) Medicare is divided into, into multiple parts like an alphabet soup. There's part A, part B, and there's, we skip C, um, and there's part D, and part D is drugs. So um, part A, everybody just gets part A automatically when they turn 65. You're just enrolled. And that's because you've basically paid into part A your whole working life. Every time those taxes, those Medicare taxes are deducted from your paycheck, that's going to pay for Medicare, which which entitles you to Part A Medicare when you turn 65. That is just hospitalization. That's just hospital coverage. That's some post-hospital rehab care, but that's about it. If you want physician coverage and um, outpatient and you know surgical procedures and all those kinds of things that you do in offices, <laughs> you have to get Part B. And Part B is something you sign up for and you pay a premium. So that's your, you know, you need to do that when you're 65. So part D is the drug coverage. And that is also something that you select and pay a premium for. Um, so confusing. <laughs> so the second thing I just want to say about Medicare is that you can get all of those things directly from the federal government in what we call traditional Medicare um, so you're signed up, you know, when you go to the hospital, the hospital files a claim, the federal government pays the bill, period. Um, the problem with that is that there are a lot of gaps in coverage. Uh, there are out-of-pocket, really high out-of-pocket costs, deductibles and coinsurance. There are a lot of things that aren't covered that you might need, like dental and vision. So there are some options. To cover, to fill those gaps, one of them is called Medigap coverage, which is if you go out into the, and there's a, like, um, you know, a handful of supplemental insurance policies that you buy specifically to cover some of those gaps, um, but not all of them. You have to buy a separate dental policy or a separate vision policy um, if you want to stay in traditional Medicare. Another option is that you can sign up for private insurance that, in other words, you can sign up with United Healthcare or Aetna or Humana or Kaiser, go on and on and on. And they have a contract with the federal government essentially to administer your Medicare benefits. And often what they do is they fill those coverage gaps and they offer stuff called supplemental benefits like dental and vision and hearing. So you have lots of options. Um, Medicare is the thing to remember is it's for health insurance and not for long-term care. And that's where Medicaid comes in. So Medicaid is the is the main way in which Americans get their long-term care paid for in the United States, other than out of pocket. And uh, the thing to know about Medicaid is that it is that it's not 
it's not a, you know, um, it's not a, unlike Medicare, which is available to everyone, every single older adult is signed up for Medicare and is paid in. Medicaid is only available if you have um, exhausted your financial resources or if you are lo really low income to begin with. And it's administered by the states. And every state has slightly different rules, just to make it lots of fun for of everyone. Of course. Uh, so, <laughs> so Medicaid is, you know, you can get Medicaid to pay for nursing home care, but only after you've really already spent your parent or whoever you're taking care of or whoever's receiving the care has already spent, we call it spending down. They've already spent right. down their savings. Yes. I've, I've heard of families, you know, spending down and to make sure that their loved one um, gets the care that they need. But I would think that today when we're in this whole coronavirus situation where we have um, elderly people going into hospitals very quickly and also being separated from their families, that I have to wonder if there's some accommodation to the rules and what's being um, offered as far as financial support in, in in what we're dealing with today, right, right, yeah. So I that's a great question. So we, I was talking about Medicare and Medicaid in the context of just normal times, and this these are not normal times, obviously. So um, so a couple of things uh, to know, uh, which is that uh, Medicare. So going back to Medicare for a moment, um, has a lot of rules lots of rules about when you can qualify for certain types of benefits. So Medicare does have a home health benefit, um, but it is not available unless, uh, it's very, how do I say this? It's a pretty narrow benefit. It's not intended to be long-term care, um, but it is intended to provide some rehabilitation and skilled nursing at home for people who've recently been in the hospital or have a really kind of a high level of skilled need and, and can't get out of the house. So there, if you're homebound and you are, you've really, you know, you've been, you've kind of significant clinical needs and you benefit from having a nurse or a therapist come into the home, how you can qualify for something called home health. Well, in home health, here's the good news. Home health doesn't have co-payments and it doesn't have limits. So, um, in, in essentially what the federal government has said right now in this uncertain time is that um, is that having a diagnosis of coronavirus so or even a suspected um, diagnosis so you don't have to be officially diagnosed as having coronavirus but if, if you have all if you have every reason to believe that that's if, a, if there's a physician you can get on you know on the phone and they can sort of reasonably um, uh, kind of assume that that's what you might be dealing with at home, then you can qualify for the home health benefit. So, um, you know, so that's a, that's a very, very big change. And um, essentially it's the federal government making available um, access to home health, uh, skilled nursing and, and other services for people who are at home and, and quote unquote homebound, right, as a result of a, a positive or, or suspect a positive diagnosis. I think you might be, people might be wondering, um, oh, well, I don't want anyone coming into my home. Why would I, why would I want to do that? And I think that to that, I would just say that um, 
a couple of things. One is that is that there's a lot of home health now that can be de- delivered through telehealth. So you can have access to a nurse or to a, you can do a rehabilitation telephonically or over Zoom. It's kind of pretty amazing. And all of that can be paid for by Medicare. Um, also, these agencies are, are, are quickly trying to gain, get access to uh, personal protective equipment that would enable them, you know, to safely enter your home uh, without transmitting or, or acquiring the virus. Um, so, so don't rule out that possibility if you think it would be helpful to you. And it's interesting that you would bring up telehealth, and I know it's getting a lot of coverage uh, recently and a lot of discussion. And back in 2008, I believe, we were approached by the VA for my dad Mm -hmm. to do the telehealth because we were about 45 to 50 minutes away from the nearest VA hospital. Yep. And getting in the car and driving an hour and driving back an hour for a 15-minute checkup was a bit of a pain. And they recommended the telehealth, and it worked out really, really well for us. Honey, if you want to elaborate some go right ahead. Well, it wasn't visual at the time. What what we had right. was a, a mini computer that was um, hooked up to the telephone. And I was assigned a nurse to the case. And each morning, I was able to send his weight, his oxygen levels, his blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, and the nurse and I worked very closely together. I'm so glad you mentioned that and that you mentioned your experience because I think what you described there is almost exactly, this is going to be one of the silver linings of this whole horrible pandemic, which is that I think we're going to, it's going to, everybody's lives are going to get easier um, in accessing healthcare for their loved ones. Uh, in the wake of all of this, because what because the federal government has historically um, been way behind the VA in making telehealth available, and in large part it's been because they're just very worried that if they say, "Hey, you can get all of your visits through telehealth," that some there's going to be some fraudsters out there, right, who just kind of set up a a billing machine for the federal government and uh, be hard to kind of monitor and protect the taxpayer dollars, which I think we all can agree is important. So uh, so there's been a lot of hesitation. Um, Always have scammers and people trying to break into that information. Exactly. So where the hesitation comes from. But this nurse and I became a fierce team in advocating for my father-in-law. So I, I, I'm a big fan of telehealth. Yeah. yeah. I think we're kind of in the midst right now of kind of, I guess I would call it kind of working out the kinks. In, in making telehealth actually kind of the, the norm of how we get healthcare, particularly to people who are like your dad, that are, uh, you know, taking the entire day to get to the doctor and wait and then have a 15 minute visit. It's just, it's just not, it's time for us to, to be figuring out better ways of doing that. And this is, this is just kind of, it's like adding, um, like, you want to call it like lighter, lighter <laughs> fluid, yeah. right? It's just going to, it's, we're sparking this big, this, you know, it's, it's time. Um, so anybody out there right now that wants to get access to a physician without going into an office can, can do so And that physician can bill Medicare for the visit, uh, even if it's done over the telephone. Um, so 
there's a lot of, uh, there's still a lot of things that they're trying to work out, like what are the right reimbursement levels and, you know, there's a lot of kind of confusion, but, uh, you know, I would say I had this with my own parents recently where my dad was supposed to go to the doctor and, uh, and I was like, don't, you can't like, don't know, I'm not letting you leave the house, but they should be able to do this all over the phone. And the doctor was reluctant, but I think they finally came around. So I, you know, we're get we're getting there. Well, I know the other day, or I guess uh, last week, the end of last week, I had a situation where I, um, I have diabetes and I needed a prescription filled. Mm-hmm. Now, fortunately, uh, I'm pill dependent as opposed to um, needle dependent, mm-hmm. and I needed the prescription filled. And I hadn't been to the doctor in uh, I was two months past due because of all this. Right. So. The doctor said, hey, can we do a uh, Zoom visit? And we did. And we talked about my A1C and what my readings were with my uh, glucose levels. And we basically took care of it in five minutes over the Zoom. And she called in the prescription. Now, I still have to go and get all the regular workups done uh, once this is all uh, behind us and we're off of timeout. But uh, it was a nice way that she felt comfortable um, and I felt comfortable. And, um, you know, the the pharmacies are now ordering or having the mail order. So that worked out really well, too. So I didn't have to leave the house, which is great. Yeah, that is great. That is great. I maybe I want to just take a, a quick moment to say one other thing that's been kind of very much on the mind of, of caregivers, particularly for people with dementia, which has been, um, you know, what to do uh, with your loved one if they're in a nursing home or assisted living or memory care facility today. Um, it's really a heartbreaking situation because, um, you know, for, for very, very, very good reasons, um, most facilities, as they should, are now um, kind of cocooning their residents and um, and, pr- and prohibiting anybody, um, you know, other than healthcare providers from coming into the building. And, um, you know, I guess, uh, you know, every facility is different. And so it's really hard to make a blanket statement. I know that many, many facilities uh, are, are, are just going to, you know, taking enormous effort to keep the residents engaged, to, you know, to make sure that they're really tuned into what they need, making sure they get what they need, connecting them, you know, to the outside world by, through technology, um, bringing them to windows so they can wave at their loved ones. There's a lot of good stuff happening, but it's still really heartbreaking and hard and worrying, right? If your loved one has has tested positive for the virus and you're not there and, you know, I, I just, there's no easy, you know, I don't think there's any clear cut, you know, I would not say, oh, you should take your loved one out or you should leave them in. I think it's a very, it, it depends on the circumstances um, of the facility and the geography and, you know, your, your loved one's needs and your capabilities and a, like a really long list of things to consider. But, um, but I do, I do just want to just extend my, you know, I, that, that, or convey that this is, 
uh, a an agonizing time for you're not alone. You know, this is an agonizing time for really everybody who has a family member who lives away from them, whether they're in a facility or living alone in a home, you know, like I talked to so many caregivers where the loved one is sort of, you know, they have dementia, but they haven't yet really gotten to the point where they need, you know, another level of care and nobody anticipated they were going to be kind of cut off from that family member for the next three to four months. And they're very worried. Um, so, you know, everybody is in a really tough situation, regardless of whether or not the family member lives Absolutely. in a facility or not. There's just a different set of challenges. So not to feel guilty, not to feel alone. Um, there's no easy solutions. There's no right decisions. This is just messy and hard. And I know that's a hard thing to hear, but it uh, hopefully will also be somewhat reassuring because <laughs> it's because you're not it's not you it's just it's a larger situation and one of the things that helps um caregivers um up with those with dementia or even those that are separated is the uh caregiver support groups that are sponsored by alzheimer's organizations right. or others and as a leader of those and knowing how important that is Great um, point. i'm doing it um via zoom i'm keeping the schedule I'm letting, you know, we can still see each other. They can still talk to one another. They can still interact with people that understand. Um, yeah. So that that's a resource that maybe some of our listeners t hadn't thought about, um, a way to keep connected. And even if, like you said, it's not necessarily something with dementia, but if your family members are far away and, you're cons and you want to reconnect, thank goodness we have that resource. And you also, you have an organization called daughterhood yep that's what i was just gonna say so you, yeah i was just gonna say i founded an organization called daughterhood it's on the web at daughterhood.org and um a large part of what we do is support grassroots um caregiving support networks at the local level they're called daughterhood circles and um they have primarily been mostly in-person gatherings. We used to call them like it's a, it's a, it's not really, it's a support group, but more than that, it's like a book club and a, you know, a girls night out all wrapped up into one. But, um, but of course it's not that right now. And last night our San Diego circle did a, uh, did a zoom circle meeting. And, and it was, it was interesting because there were a lot of people there who would not otherwise be able to go to a circle meeting because exactly. of their responsibilities for caregiving and their, you know, getting in the car and going somewhere and being there. So it has actually, you know, I could actually see a world in which after this, we would do, you know, alternating, you know, in-person meetings versus, and then Zoom meetings and in-person and then Zoom because it, it, it delivers a different, not, it, not worse, not better, but just a different set of benefits. Uh, Absolutely. So, yeah, just just echoing what you're saying, really. Now, I took a look at your uh, daughterhood website, uh, I guess yesterday or the day before, and you have a lot of free downloadable resources on there, correct? We do. We have um, we have what we call uh, kind of like refrigerator posts, right? You know, something you just want to print, stick up on your bulletin board or your refrigerator just to remind you that uh, that what you're doing is hard and you're doing a great job. And it sounds 
hokey when I say it out loud like this, but, but, um, but people love them. So <laughs> we get a lot of, um, we get a lot of, uh, of downloads and I think those kinds of just simple reminders about the fact that you're doing the very best that you can and, um, is, is important. It's just important. It's, it's extremely important. I know many times I would come home and Bobby would, um, be upset, uh, telling me how, you know, I didn't do this good or I didn't do that, or I should be doing better. And, (laughs) um, I mean, she was amazing. She was absolutely amazing. (laughs) And I had to keep reinforcing that what she was doing was amazing. And yeah, it's like dealing with a, with a child and you gotta, I thought you were, I thought you were telling her that I was telling you, you didn't think do things right. (laughs) No, no, no. we already, (laughs) we already know that. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's all about that second guessing that all caregivers do thinking, well, why did I miss that? Or why didn't I do respond differently? So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. And there's no, I think it really, the thing that I have noticed is the tendency we all have um, in every aspect of our life is to make what we what we hope is the quote unquote right. We think every decision, there's a right and a wrong. It's either the right decision or the wrong decision. And I mean, of course, there are some very bad decisions that we can make. But for the most part, we're just weighing different paths. And I think, you know, there particularly when you're caring for somebody who has an enormous number of vulnerabilities and there's no right way to do it. There is no right decision. Uh, it's just what's best for you and your family and the whole family unit, um, you know, kind of all together. And, and, if, and, and, you know, it's, I just want to, to kind of help people not beat themselves up quite as much as I see them doing. Uh, absolutely. And that's one of the, that's, the main thing that um, encouraged me and inspired me to write my first book for caregivers um, called Confessions of an Imperfect Caregiver. And it's basically the story, <laughs> right. it's the story of our family. It reads like a novel, but every word is true. And there are moments there where you laugh, you cry, it's frightening. There's all of the caregiver guilt is in there and the mistakes that we made. And, um, finally coming to the realization that there, there is no perfect way to do this, that um, you do the best you can in the moment mm-hmm. and give them more good days than they would have had otherwise. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And it's just endless. You know, there's, there, it's an endless set of needs and it's just really hard to feel like anything Correct. you're doing is enough um, because it, because it, there's no, it's, I always um, think about Glenn Campbell, you know, who had, uh, who has had Alzheimer's and he, you know, uh, they had more money than most of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, they cared for him at home. I mean, they had like a 10 person team and, uh, and wanted to keep him at home as long as possible. And, um, right. you know, even that wasn't enough. So if you're doing this by yourself in your home, just know that even people who have all the money in the world and can throw resources at this and hire lots of people and it's still not enough. They ended up having to, uh, to find a memory care 
facility for him at the end and uh, which was very controversial but i you know i'm i get it and um it's hard not to feel like you're not doing enough but it it's really an impossible standard and that's why we reach out to people like you and the other guests that we have on our podcast to share as much support and information as we can um i am so grateful that um to have you here as a, as a guest. And um, we will put links to Daughterhood on our website so people can go and get some of those wonderful resources that you have to offer. Great. And you and I will stay connected, I hope. Yes. Um, thank you so much for being a guest today. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me and thanks for everything that you're doing. And I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you so, so very much. So we touched on a lot of topics today. One of the things that I found interesting is I never really understood as much about the Medicare versus the Medicaid and why if you had Medicare, you would still need Medicaid. And I think that uh, that discussion might have shed a lot of uh, light on a lot of our listeners. I know it did me. Absolutely. One of the things that stood out to me was this discussion about telehealth and how we can not only use it now, but it'll make healthcare easier going forward. And I definitely encourage people to, to look into that and take, take advantage of that. Uh, and I think the final takeaway we can share with people today is we're all doing our absolute best in impossible situations, and um, there's no way to do it perfect. And there are resources like Daughterhood and RogerThat.show that are here to help people. You can find out more information about Anne and the Daughterhood organization on our show website. This has been Roger That, and I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please, subscribe to the show, go to iTunes and post a review. Reviews are very important. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Let us know how we can help you or if you have a question you'd like for us to address, or if you'd just like to say hi. Now, to find out more about us, or where Bobby will be speaking next, head on over to rogerthat.show. That's roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America, a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. You can find out more about HCA on our website or go to hearingcharities.org. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content.